This is Coda Radio, episode 495 for December 5th, 2022. Hey, good buddy. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and I hope, avoiding the plague, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. How are you? Are you healthy? Uh, to Kubma be praised, I'm fine. I think I'm skirting the edge of it. I can feel it in my sinuses, you know? And I got one of three that has a that had a fever the other day. And I can feel it creeping in, Mike. I can feel it coming after me. And it already robbed me of some of my Thanksgiving. I tell you what. It's a it's a winter. It is a winter of winters here in the Pacific Northwest. It has hit hard. It's like probably about 29 degrees Fahrenheit outside right now, which is cold for us when the sun's up in the morning. That's pretty cold for the Seattle area. So that's, I think it's just going around, going around. Although I can't really complain because at least I didn't try to buy Twitter for probably more than double what it's worth and then try to turn it around into some sort of profitable company where the entire world freaks out as I make every single move. <laughs> and then, of course, I can't help myself but go on Twitter and then exaggerate situations and make big claims to make things into bigger deals than they really are. Re Apple was going to remove Twitter from the iPhone. So it turns out now the story is. Yeah, you know, Apple actually was never going to remove Twitter from the iOS app store. Uh, that was Elon's misunderstanding. Big oops. Oh, and by the way, Apple has restored advertising in full on the Twitter platform. So did Elon lie? Well, what is a lie if you believe it, right? But it's... <laughs> I actually have some sympathy for Elon on this one. This is a move I could see myself doing, right? You get like a weird cryptic message, which is basically... If you've ever dealt with app review, they never tell you exactly what they want because you might use that later and send it to the media, right? Basically. So they say, well, like, well, you know, here's an app store guideline. Insert vague, you know, vague 3.1. whatever, for example. And basically, every time you ask them what's up, they're just going to keep referring you to that very vague text. And, you know, certain people, certain personality types uh, tend to overreact. And I certainly have done this with after you. And I feel like Elon definitely has. Now, I don't. This is where I'm a little negative on Elon. There's no way he didn't know about the 30% cut before. Yet he claimed to be shocked by the secret tax. I mean, come on, dude. You're... Who, come on, bro. Right? You know about it. You're in the tech space. Everybody knows about it. Uh, the epic trial is already in the court of appeals now, and you know, yeah, yeah. But I think you could argue end users don't necessarily know about it. You know, average everyday, right? But he's not a, he's not an end user, right? He he's in the field. He should know. But was he saying it was a secret tax because he was surprised by it, or was he saying this is something you guys don't know about? You know, I I, I don't know. You could read that either way. I I read it as people don't realize that Apple has this tax. People outside the development community don't realize. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I mean, what's really more interesting me to me is less how Elon handled it, because it's not super surprising. It's more how it looked like Apple was going to come out pretty hard and just like slap him down. And you can't make this shit up only in Florida. Ron DeSantis goes on TV. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I think what Ted Cruz as well. And all of a sudden, they're talking about regulation for Apple in the App Store. And all of yeah, a sudden, we're having a little stroll around the pond at at, at, uh, at Apple Park. Yeah. It's like, Two days later, what? we're visiting Tim Cook and sharing a, a shadow selfie. Right. And all of a sudden, it was a misunderstanding. Elon, sorry, overreacted, whatever. And uh, Apple's advertising on Twitter again. So that that kind of shows you like what Apple's real priorities are. And I... Anybody who's listening to this show knows that I've been uh, railing against some of the more, how could we say, like, uh, despotic policies that Apple has about the App Store. And yeah, I mean, they make a ton of money on it, right? So they don't. And I, I think it just lays bare that, you know, if you can go for a little pond walk with Uncle Tim, you're good to go. He's a charming man, Chris. Big football fan. You and I would love to go on a pond walk with Uncle Tim. Oh, I totally would go on a pond walk. I'm not, I'm wondering too, like, you know, 
old Uncle Tim is uh, really secretive. And I wonder when Elon arrives, because of the competitive nature there is with Tesla and them, especially when it comes to stealing engineers, but also, you know, he talked about building his own phone. Does Uncle Tim meet Elon outside in the foyer and they walk the pond and never even go to Tim's office? I'm thinking he never goes into Tim's office. And that and it's like a security thing. But they don't even tell Elon that's it. They're just like, yeah, meet Tim outside. He'll be here. So then you have the guy who works for the world's richest company <laughs> meeting the richest man. And they're like quasi-competitors. But Elon is clearly totally wholly dependent on Apple and Google's App Store uh, access for the Twitter platform. Not just Elon. The web would just not, would not survive. The company would not survive, which is the web, right? So it's this incredibly awkward dynamics. And uh, to Tim Cook's credit, I, I'm guessing it was Tim who was the adult in that situation and, and no, appropriately navigated the conversation. So? Of course. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Footlong Doobie versus Tim Cook. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. There's, there's so much to unpack here. Number one, I feel like this story is more funny than important because Tim Cook also averted a trade war with the United States, i.e. In, in the person of Donald Trump and probably the most powerful man in the world, Xi Jinping. So there's that. He actively has somehow managed to avoid app store regulation while being on the stand in federal court. And you guys should look this up again. Read the transcripts. It, it, it's great. And same for SBF. Tim Cook says, well, the judge asked, well, doesn't it seem like, uh, you know, the likes of these game developers are subsidizing the likes of Wells Fargo? Why do you do it that way? And basically, well, that's our business model. We got to capitalize on our IP. I'm paraphrasing. But he's not, Tim Cook is not lying, right? He's not hiding the ball. I don't really understand what Elon thought was going to happen here. Although I guess getting Apple, one of their most important advertisers back, that's a brand win for the platform in terms of legitimate advertisers. I mean, they need every shekel they can get at this point. It's it's not even just optics, right? Right. And they're a big advertiser. Right. So it's a good, it's a cachet brand and they're going to do a pretty decent spend, you would imagine. I don't know. I, you know, he's a gene. He's definitely a genius. I'm a big fan, but I'm starting to question the, is it all 3D chess? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you got it. Does he just get loaded and get pissed off, right? This is the interesting thing we're watching is you have the full, like what you have here is the most vocal people on Twitter are really critical and everything's a mistake and he's kind of bumbling into one situation. And then you have the full Elon Stan side of the spectrum where you could argue this entire overreaction was to get a firm commitment on Apple so that way he could proceed forward without any ambiguity if Apple was going to screw Twitter or not because that sort of ends the game right there. And so... Either way, if it was intentional or not, he's actually secured himself a bit of assurance. And so they can proceed without that devastating threat constantly looming over them. Either way, it works out pretty well. But I think the stands would say that it was all planned and that this was all a, a ploy to get to Uncle Tim. And I think the critics would say he freaked out and panned, he panicked and he just got lucky and fell into a meeting with Tim Cook and then fell into a walk around the pond where they fell into a solution for everything and solved it. See, I, I don't think he got lucky, right? I I don't know. I feel like Ron DeSantis was more important in this story than, than Elon Musk. In that, I'm sure if you're Apple and you're Tim Cook, you have a table of people who are like, so what happens if the Republicans take over again and we keep pissing them off with all of our liberal stuff and the fact that we control the App Store, which we want to maintain control of, right? He has to try to appear even-handed. Yeah, you're right. So this is Uncle Tim taking advantage of Elon being brash and playing some 3D chess and giving the right a demonstration of his even handedness. Well, Uncle Tim's got an election coming up in 2024 that if it goes, I'm sure Apple would perceive as the wrong way. Right. Not that they love some of the more uh, lefty people who also want to regulate them. <laughs> like they're, they're in a bad spot. Right. Like, like the, they get screwed either way. We have Amy Klobuchar on the left who correctly wants to regulate them you have the republicans who correctly see that they have uh you know they're they're an opinionated corporation and their opinions definitely contradict the conservative point of view uh i mean i i don't know i feel like uncle tim is actually the the star of this show he's our you know he's our dude doing cirque du soleil and i'm i i've seen 
three versions of Cirque du Soleil. I've seen O, Mystere, and uh, the less good Beatles one. And you know what? Those guys are awesome. Very talented. You should go see it. Uh, Mirage in Las Vegas. Will you pay us now? Steve Wynn, are you going to pay me now? Oh, sorry. I think the uh, the common uh, Apple Click criticism of Tim Cook is that, oh, he's just a supply chain guy. Bull he's a diplomat. That guy, you know what? He's Sarek. He walked in, basically, st- can you imagine if it's just, let's, just, let's just grow a mustache and go to the alternate uh, universe here. If Tim Cook came out and said, you know what, Elon, I've had enough of your crap. You support, you know, the word that the, uh, the people who are in opposition would say fascist stuff. And I'm just banning Twitter tomorrow, right? Like done overnight. There would be all of a sudden those conservatives who kind of don't believe in regulation and love big business who have slowed down the Amy Klobuchar's of the world would be after him, right? You, you would have a bipartisan bill completely rewriting how software is distributed and most importantly, hitting that 30% cut. Well, and it, as long as we're just kind of nailing this point home and saying he's more than just a supply chain guy, I mean, he basically made peace with the Romulans and the Klingons while they were both at war with Cardassians and he's, ha- he's getting his phones manufactured on Cardassian Prime. Like, he dealt with Trump in a in a way that was slightly embarrassing to him to buy like the most vocal but personally yeah he did it in a way that i think a lot of the silicon valley california ceos just couldn't bring themselves to do right but tim he swallowed it and he he just sat there at those tables and he said the things that trump needed him to say for tim apple to say he thought his name was tim apple <laughs> And he got his deals, right? And he got his he got his carve-outs with the China policies and whatnot. And he's done the same exact maneuvering with the Biden administration. They're not as boisterous about it. But uh, I think there was like some leaked document from the Trump administration of a conversation with one of Trump's kids and Trump. And they were talking about how Tim Apple is one of the more powerful men in, in America because of the size of Apple and his ability to, to negotiate. I don't know. There's something to it. Well, he's also doing actual stuff, right? Like he is very aware of the problems that he has in China. So he's moving production to places such as, oh, the U.S. now, right? Which is a carrot for the more conservative and the more classic, you know, kind of like blue dog Democrat folks. And for our non-U.S. friends, he's spreading the wealth. He complies with all the European regulations. In fact, he basically doesn't fight them unless of course you go after that sweet sweet services revenue you know tim tim cook owns some some bitcoin i bet he owns everything right can you i would too i suppose if i was as rich as he <laughs> he's probably yeah, got point. like a, a, a vault full of emeralds and sapphire somewhere i mean should we get to some tech stuff spend some of jordan's money so jordan is a developer he's currently running pop os and he loves it but uh, he's been running on an Alienware desktop, and it's kind of falling apart. So he's he's considering a System76 Gazelle or an M1 MacBook Pro. Uh, he hasn't used the Mac very much, but his coworkers let him borrow an extra Mac, and he's, you know, he's making it work. He thinks he could make it work f- full-time if he needed to. Most of the development he does is Python. It's a little fast API action with some front-end development using TypeScript. Great choices. He doesn't currently do any iOS development, and he doesn't know if he will anytime soon. So his question is, is it worth the switch to the Mac for that cut type of workflow for development? Uh, or would the Gazelle work better than the Alienware for him? Are there things that the Mac does that you feel like you're missing out on when you're using Pop? He's asking you specifically. Both of those are decent machines. I would say the, he said, which Mac? The M1 Air? Uh, I think he said Pro, actually. Mac, the M1 MacBook Pro. There's kind of the obvious stuff out of the way. The build quality on the Macs is, is top shelf. In particular, now I do not have this version Gazelle. I have a older one, but I'm told it's very much the same. The speakers are not, the onboard speakers are not great. I found the Dev Ones actually to be better. So if you listen to a lot of like videos or podcasts while you're working and you don't wear headphones, that's something to consider. The downside with the Mac is you're going to be spending uh, quite a bit more money in most cases to get a similar spec machine. I think a couple hundred. It's up to you. If you think you might do iOS development, then there's an obvious advantage to the Mac. If you, on the flip side, like one of the things I like when I'm doing my Python and Ruby work, 
on the dev one is that it's uh i know i know they don't like it when you say this but it's effectively ubuntu right and the majority except for the proud uh, open SUSE servers or SUSE enterprise servers in plant city of my virtual interest instances are ubuntu so there's there's a nicety to the commands being exactly the same right that's uh, every and mac you get some weird stuff with homebrew it's a tough choice. They're both good machines. I mean, I the other thing is glossy screen versus uh, matte screen. I believe the Gazelle is matte. I always confuse the Gazelle and the Lemur. I would say you'll probably be happy with either. I don't really miss much other than the iOS development toolchain for when I'm not on the Mac. And that's not something he's necessarily going to need. I would actually throw another contender in here, though, with, with an asterisk. If you're going to go... If you're considering going pop, consider the Dev One. The only thing I've had that I don't like on the Dev One is the screen does wash out in light pretty quickly, and it's glossy. I would have preferred that it be matte. But uh, the Dev One versus at least the Gazelle that I had, I, I would go Dev One. Again, that speaker thing is very important to me. Oh, yes. The Dev One does have pretty good speakers. Yeah. And I can do video calling without having to put headphones on on the Dev One, which I have struggled with other System76 laptops with. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't turn you away from the Mac, though. You know, if money is no object and you even have an inkling that you want to do an iOS app at someday, someday uh, I'd get a basically a decently specced Mac. I'd probably definitely stay above 16 or minimum 16 gigs. Yeah, I, I switch between them now every couple of days, and I will say that the macOS GUI feels slower than than GNOME. So there's that. I think here's a couple of things you could optimize for, and depending on which one's more important, you, you pick. The advantage of the Lemur or the Dev one would be that you have the option to dual boot into Windows, and you can virtualize x86 Windows. If that ever is something you might want <laughs> i think that probably uh, that might make your decision right there if battery life if you don't need windows or for some reason somehow windows arm would suffice and you want to optimize for battery life and portability then i'd say probably the macbook and i think if you kind of look at those two different perspectives you could probably fill in the rest from there yeah i, I would actually take that a step further if you need x86 windows at all you, you gotta go with not the mac because it's, I've tried Parallels sells a solution. Is it Parallels? Yeah, I think it's Parallels. It's it's not great. Parallels, I believe. I don't. I could be wrong. I believe Parallels will do Windows ARM, and VMware will now do Windows x86. It's VMware. It's VMware. It's yeah. Okay. Because I have both. It's it's not ideal. It's not even close to being good. So. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting over at Linode. They've built some of the very best in the business. I have, I've looked at some of the alternatives out there, and maybe in the very short term, I could uh, save a couple of bucks, or I don't know, like maybe some system might be slightly faster for the monthly price I'm paying. But I look at it on like a five-year window. Like, I want these systems to be viable for five years when I built them. And I want to just set them up, keep them maintained, and trust that Linode will keep them running. And I can do that with Linode because they've been around for nearly 19 years. And the company has survived on the merits of the product. It's a good product. And that's why they keep coming back to Coda Radio and advertising because our listeners are trying it out and they're loving it. It's a really great match. It is a perfect platform to do development testing, to do some exploring, just kind of learn push things a little bit before you throw them into production. And then when you're ready to put things in production, Linode has the infrastructure to do it. 40 gigabit connections coming to the hypervisors, MVME hard drives available, AMD Epic processors if you want to go all the way in, 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers that don't even offer you real human support without going through a seemingly torture test to get there. And on top of all of that, you, get, you have 11 data centers to choose from and they're adding another dozen over the next year. And they have great features like object storage, cloud firewall, so the traffic never even makes it to your rig. Backups that are easy to understand, easy to kick off, easy to restore. You know right where you're at before you make any big changes. And if you're lucky enough to have some serious infrastructure management tooling, Linode will snap right into that as well. There's a lot there. I mean, I could just go on and on. So why not take that 100 bucks and go see what works for you? 
go build something. Go learn something, try it for yourself, and support the show. Linode's what we use. I think you're going to love it. Linode.com slash coder. I found this story a little hard to read, I have to tell you. The overall kind of feeling I got from this is that AWS staff were throwing shade at Microsoft for underfunding.net. Uh, this comes from AWS's software development manager, quote, we found that .NET open source is heavily underfunded. They go on to say, the sad thing about .NET open source is that we can still call it a third-party open source. That should not be the case. Firing some shots here, Mr. Dominic. Like, they're coming in swinging. This is at reInvent. Uh, and several other Amazon staff and executives had comments about the state of .NET. And they were kind of boisterous about the fact that they're kind of becoming a big .NET platform. In fact, I, I think .NET is, I think I grabbed the number here. They write, quote, right now, .NET is the third most popular platform behind Python and Java for app development at AWS. So this, to me, when I read this register piece, and we'll have it linked in the, in the notes, I felt like AWS just came into the room and started throwing their weight around because they looked at their stats and they saw it was a number three platform and they realized it's not doing everything they need and they want to take it further so they can sell more stuff. And now, now, now the, uh, the big dog's in the room and he's going to tell people how it should be done. I just, I don't know, I, this really rubbed me the wrong way. I felt exactly the same way. In fact, I was thinking back to years ago when AWS just mercilessly capitalized on Docker and, uh, well, basically Docker and Kubernetes, right? Under the guise of it needs to be improved for the customers. It's not good enough. It's underfunded. It was the same kind of stuff. But at the expense of the company at the time called Cloud9, now then called Docker, who made Docker. <laughs> yeah, this is like, okay, they want to, yeah, I, I don't think this is great. You've got to figure there's some execs at Microsoft and some staff that are just fuming over this, right? There's a couple couple folks in the Azure department who are like, oh, f*** you, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because they're, you know, direct competitors. Yeah, I know. They also take shots at the Active Directory support and talk about how they're doing work to make Active Directory better. Okay, first of all, if you ever used Active Directory, AWS, guys, everybody is suffering. It's Active Directory. Next, you're going to say SharePoint. I mean, just get a rest. They say a project that we've been working on this year is AD connectivity from Linux containers. When customers start modernizing, they told us that it's hard to get away from AD because AD connects to all of their organization. So, you know, they're going to come in here and they're going to start porting stuff over to Linux, they say, because this is what's got to get done. So they're going to have a daemon that runs on your Linux instance that enables this sort of like translation from some sort of Linux container uh, properties to Active Directory. And I mean, it's neat. And it's fine, especially if it's going to be all open source and appropriately licensed. But it feels like the beginning of a trend that is it's probably not going to end in a good place. I think nothing is going to happen. You think that really? What do you think Microsoft is going to do? Okay, our dear competitor, let us help you make money off of our software, taking customers away from our platform, which is already in the distant second from you. What happens when two Godzillas fight? Your nice apartment gets wrecked. They destroy your building. You know, that's what I'm thinking. It's like when two monsters fight. Well, you, you shouldn't have lived in Tokyo. I, I... <laughs> but dude, I'm living, I'm living right in Microsoft's backyard. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. AWS, you know, I, lovely people work there, I'm sure. But I, I, I just can't get over how merciless they were with the Docker and the containerization stuff. Yeah. And how, how many reports did we get from uh, the more false, you know, freedom beards about how AWS would basically just like capitalize on all this open source and maybe every once in a while they hire somebody and then they make a big deal out of it, right? And send him or her on the podcast round. It's like, come on, you, you guys, you're fine. Spend some money. Well, and I know this isn't like, these aren't like necessarily official public positions of Amazon Inc. or whatever, or Bezos Incorporated, mm. but... It's funny because it reads as, I think at the root of it, it reads as ungrateful because Microsoft built this house, right? And all of a sudden, Amazon is starting to make money off of people living and coming and going from this house, right? Like my, all of a sudden, like Amazon's making money and now they want the house to be a lot nicer and they want to have 
control over like all of the different aspects of the house, the doors, the locks, and they're not really happy with the people who built the place. And it just feels like they should be more thankful and be grateful that the house was built in the first place and that it has a roof and it has plumbing and it has customers already. Like it just felt like there was no gratitude. It was all criticism. And that aside, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on .NET becoming the number three platform. I guess I'd never really thought about it, but that does feel like a big milestone when you consider Azure. I'm sure it's a much even larger. I'm, it must be number two. I don't know. I, I wouldn't presume it's number one, but it must be in the high, high one, two or threes on Azure as well. That's two of the big three cloud providers. We don't know what it is on Google Cloud, but I find this to be really an interesting trend as well. I mean, it's, it, if you think about it, it's not surprising, right, how much of the dark matter devs are working in large enterprises doing .NET uh, figure. You know, I, I mean, there are still companies. It might be hard for those of us in the super uber nerdy world to think about, but that are still migrating to the idea of using cloud servers, right? So I'm sure there are still lots of like ASP applications out there that have yet to make the switch. And if they do, they should use that Linode code. <laughs> Well, I feel like we should get a little pandentic about Pydantic here in the show. Yeah, Pydantic. I like Pydantic. It's, I want to say built in. That's not exactly correct into FastAPI. It's uh, basically the never ending quest to make uh, not statically typed languages a bit more static because <laughs> that's the way it goes. Really good for keeping your code clean and it does speed up development. I have some feelings on it. If you try to add it to legacy projects, I don't generally think that's a good idea because it's just hard. But if you're starting Greenfield, in particular with something like FastAPI, it's pretty cool. Well, in true Python fashion, they're doing a major version upgrade. And because it's Python, they are breaking compatibility. Because that's that's how Python rolls. Yeah. Why did I feel like there was a big butt coming? That whole time I was like, oh, something's going to happen. Something There's a butt here. How bad is this? I don't know that it's bad, right? The product's got some great people behind it. I don't see anything wrong. I find the cavalierness of breaking compatibility somewhat jarring, and I'm concerned that it's going to be a situation where if you're on Pydantic 1, you're just going to be there forever, and then you won't use Pydantic 2 until you start a new project. This is like a much smaller example of the python 2 python 3 but again much smaller than that right but same idea but they have some reasons uh number one this one's for all you crabs pydantic core which is the separate uh package that is the core that's why they call it core of this is written in rust clap your claws my friends clap your claws <laughs> clap your claws that's great <laughs> clack, 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 clack. crap people another victory there you go it's you guys are just rolling through everybody. Now now the snake bows to the crab. Using a library I've used called PyO3. I don't actually know if you're supposed to pronounce the O because I've only used it, never talked about it. Which is simply Rust bindings to Python. Great. It's for interop. Something I like and I think should have been in the first one, which is why I'm... Then this is one of the, what they say is a major breaking feature. It comes with a quote-unquote strict mode. Now... If you're not, if you if you've been living in Java land or C sharp land or any kind of strongly typed static language, you have integers, you have you have your types, right? You've doubles, ints, floats, whatever. Pydantic, even though it was supposed to enforce types, didn't completely. So it would allow things like the string. The example they gave was the string one two three to an int field. It would just be like, well, I'm Python. I I'll just like make that a number now, right? Cool. Not anymore which is a good thing, and I would argue how it should work, and I don't even think this should be a mode. I think it should be the default and only way to do this, or at least the default. But I digress. It, it sounds silly, but this is in the kind of dumb error that not being statically typed, you hit all the time. So when am I going to use it? Probably two to three years from now. Okay, wait, 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 why is that? Why? Because it's a breaking change. Yeah, and it's just going to be something brand new that you're just starting. It's not something I could build someone. Well, I guess I could build them for it, but I, I tend not to build people for things that are like me upgrading tooling of my own, right? Because that seems kind of crappy. Alice is way too big to even think about making any change right now. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I probably going to adopt it. I have a feeling what's going to happen is I'm going to adopt it when fast API or SQL model, which is a very nice uh, layer above SQL alchemy written by the guy who wrote fast API adopts it because it also uses Pydantic and I have a greenfield project. So I actually do recommend it despite maybe the slight skepticism of my voice. I'm just not sure so I'll make their argument for them. The reason the core is in Rust is for performance, right? And because I'm a little cynic, I think it's because Rust is the new hotness too, right? So the breaking change I think is possibly necessary, but I do worry that it's going to create the situation where Pydantic 1 kind of just lingers like a congressman who can barely get up and wipe his own butt, but he just keeps getting reelected. What was I talking about? <laughs> no, I can see what you're saying because of users like yourself. Yeah. Because I'm never going to take the time to do this. I mean, I, you know, I, I think about like just for Alice, for example. Well, I could just like, in fact, secret, secret, we're working on a GUI for Alice now, right? So why would I spend any hours that could be furthering that, which is going to be sellable, right? Licensable to customers. Why would I not work on that? Why would I work on upgrading my internal tooling? when that doesn't do anything for me or anything tangible that helps me sell more. So what I kind of hear you saying is like, okay, it looks impressive, but it sounds like the thing that you are concerned about is this, this breaking change and perhaps the willingness to engage in a change that is breaking like this and not find some sort of smoother transition. Do you think that bothers you because you're worried it could happen again and again? But it keeps happening, right? But I, it, it's so. So the irony, though, is I actually think these changes are good. Uh, my, my my quibble is more if you're gonna go all the if you're gonna do this, go all the way. So like my biggest like ding on this, and something I would like just meekly suggest to the maintainers: you obviously see the value in the strict mode. I see the obvious value in the strict mode. I think you just need to have the opinion. That strict mode is uh, the default, at least, right? Make there be a flag where you can turn it off. But I guess my, my point being, if they're going to do the breaking change, then go all the way. Having said that, when I use this, I'm just going to turn strict mode on all the time, right? <laughs> so fine. I, you know, I just wish I wish I could have it now without it being breaking. But that strict mode is almost certainly one of the reasons it is breaking. It's also the most attractive feature to me. And yes, like every good king crab, I'm pleased with the Rust part of it. Click, click. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out a zero config, get up and running mesh network VPN protected and powered by WireGuard. You can quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, your devices like your phones, your iPad, your Android tablet, if they even make those, your cloud boxes, your VMs. I found that to be super, super useful. And Tailscale software is intelligent about navigating firewall rules and double NAT and traversing even carrier-grade NAT. I can attest to that. And there's so many neat features inside Tailscale. So the basic premise is you get your own private flat network. Each device has an IP. You can also use DNS if that's your preferred style. And then there's features on top of that that make the Tailscale system even more convenient, like Tailscale Send, essentially like AirDrop for all of your devices on the Tailscale network. There's Tailscale SSH, which allows you to establish SSH connections between your different boxes over the Tailscale network. And then they've introduced a new feature recently called Tailscale Funnel. So if you say, I don't know, you run a web host, uh, you run a web server on like a local host on uh, port 8080 or whatever it might be. Well, you know, you just have something on your LAN. Maybe it's something you want to make available to yourself, friends, family, but it only exists on your Tailscale network. Like my NextCloud instance is a great example of this. I now run NextCloud only on my Tailscale network. And that's why when they introduced this funnel option, I really love this idea because so, okay, I got the web server, like the NextCloud web server or whatever, running on, a, on my box, listening on my Tailscale network. Now with the funnel feature, which is an alpha right now, it's not generally available, but they're rolling it out. They will put that box on the internet with a public IP, DNS, TLS cert, support HTTPS, all that. 
and then they funnel it back to your machine for when you need it. Now, this isn't something you're going to use all the time, right? But this is great for those moments, like for NextCloud, for example, or, or some dashboard you want to open up. So to have a funnel and to, to do that is, it's so powerful with TailScale. Every couple of weeks, I figure out a new way to leverage TailScale. And it's one of those, oh, I'm never going to do this any other way again. This is so much better than what I was doing. It starts really simple with a flat mesh network. But that's the foundation for tooling where you can do some incredible stuff. And I'm just going deeper and deeper and loving it. And I know you will too. So go try it out and support the show. Tailscale.com slash coder. So Coinbase had to remove NFTs from the Coinbase wallet app on iOS. They write, you might have noticed that you can't send NFTs on the Coinbase iOS wallet anymore. This is because Apple blocked our last app release until we disabled the feature. Because Apple argues that they should get a cut of the gas fees. When you send something on Ethereum, there's something called the gas fee, which is like an homogenization of the different activity on the Ethereum network and comes up with a cost for that particular transaction. Because you could think of it as like buying time on a computer. It's a big, big old worldwide piece of crap computer. And that gas fee is deducted in ETH. It is part of the internal ecosystem to Ethereum. It's not like something you pay as a separate line item on an in-app purchase. But apparently Apple's app review doesn't understand that. And here's the ramifications. It means that iPhone users that own monkey JPEGs, if you hold that NFT, if you hold an NFT on your Coinbase iPhone wallet, Apple just made it basically impossible for you to move it out of there. So it's stuck there. You can't transfer it out. You can't sell it. You can't move it to another wallet. It's just stuck in your Coinbase wallet that now doesn't have any functionality to send it around. Isn't this outrageous? And an example, I think, of how, even though I think monkey JPEGs are silly, I think it's an example of how the App Store and its policies are going to shape technology platforms in the future. Yeah, Apple hasn't seen a transaction they didn't want 30% of ever, right? Yeah, but you know, they're not taking like uh they're not taking a fee inside Uber, like they're it's it's uh it's unusual for these closed ecosystems for for that to happen because it's not like that's a separate transaction going through Apple Pay. It's all part it's all kind of internal to like it's kind of like game tokens in a way, right? It's quite a similar well, but Apple, right? So they, this is how they always make their distinction. If it's digital, they get a cut. I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying this is their this is their policy. I mean, hey, man, I know it. It's awful. It's if it's physical, like you ordering a burrito from Chipotle via Uber Eats or a car from the airport from Uber. They they have nothing to do with that. They just whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a somewhat arbitrary distinction, but it, yeah, I mean. Also, don't don't buy JPEGs yeah. of monkeys or any other don't, mammals don't do or reptiles. Yeah. No, I mean, it is kind of the ultimate, like, well, that's what you get. I just didn't, you know, I, I've had so much schadenfreude with this whole crypto crash recently. I just didn't want to hit that too hard because the whole thing has been glorious for me to watch. My, my son, would you like to make a confession? Because you can go on after uh, Sam Bankman fried on Good Morning America. I think, you know, in a big way, this needed to happen as far as the cryptocurrency stuff goes. We needed this stuff to get flushed out. We needed the SBFs to get sniffed out. And all these stupid NFTs and all of that, it was all peak easy money. It was peak broken fiat easy money. This, I think in a lot of ways, this bear market so far has been really healthy from like a financial restoration standpoint and, you know, corporate like accountability standpoint. I don't know if we're about to enter into a, a period of time, perhaps, where it gets rough for the for the people. I don't know. We the benefits may be about to run out, but we shall see. I'll I'll just be happy if I can watch SBF squirm. You know, that'll keep me satisfied. I can't believe he's still out there on this apology tour. I, I can't believe he's going on TV. You think it's all a mistake? Yeah, what do you mean? Of course, it's a mistake. Have you ever met a lawyer? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. Oh, no, he's so obviously full of Until this crash, his whole public image was he was a super genius, an architect of everything going on around him. And that he was the responsible, he was, he, right? He was the responsible crypto bro. 
and uh, that he was such a hard worker because he's, he was such a hard worker. He slept on a beanbag under his desk because he was keeping an eye on everything 12, 16, 16 hours a day. That was his image beforehand. Then it's a crash and all of a sudden it's, oh, I didn't know what was going on. I, I was really kind of unfocused for a month. I had no idea what people were doing. It was really kind of a bad month, but I'm sorry because it was my responsibility. And he's clearly, clearly gotten the signal that he was being compared to Bernie Madoff. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want that comparison because it means fraud. And he's with his PR team. He has a PR team that he has hired using the customer funds that he stole. And they are helping him manage this image of a babe in the woods who just got a little in over his head. And it was easy to mix up numbers because they're big numbers. And I'm really sorry. And I want to do everything I can to help. Please won't you forgive me. The reason why I know it's BS and I would bet serious stakes on it, like actual stakes, because I just got it. I'm just getting a cow. It's great. So I got plenty of meat. Um, anyways, the reason why I know for sure it's BS is because this is the exact strategy and skill set he deployed to get to where he was to begin with. The man is a psychopath and he knows exactly what words to say to manipulate people. The shibboleths. Right. Exactly. And he's doing it again, only he's now playing the best set of hand, the best hand he has. These are now the words he has to use. And there's a real benefit because it takes heat off of the politicians that he paid off. It takes heat off of them because this wasn't a big criminal mastermind. This was a kid who made a mistake. So it, and he was just giving money for COVID. Guys, it was just COVID money. It was just, it was just millions and millions of dark COVID money. Anyways. He can now say they can they can they can take a step back. They can play their role. They can be critical and say they're tough politician things. And he can pretend like it was all an accident. And most importantly, the media that got it wrong, like the New York Times, like Forbes, like CNBC, like all of them. We know all, we, we've probably all seen the montages going around on social media where they all just fawn over him. They don't have to take an L if it was all just a big accident. Like if everything was going good until about a month ago and it all just fell apart because he lost focus, they don't take an L. If he was a big fraud, then the money he paid to Vox and the money he paid to NPR and the money he paid to the, all the other different institutions, all of a sudden that starts looking like hush money. It starts looking like maybe they came knocking, they came looking because of the obvious and he paid them off if it's fraud. But if it's just, you know, he was a generous billionaire that got in over his head then the media is off the hook. So the politicians are off the hook. The media is off the hook. And Sam doesn't get on, doesn't get nailed for fraud. You know, he gets, he gets nailed for some kind of mismanagement mistake, you know, some sort of, some sort of clearly bad thing, but he's not the next Bernie Madoff. And that's why he's going on Twitter spaces. That's why he's going on good morning America. That's why he's doing all these interviews. That's why he's tweeting because he's being advised by a team. And he did have lawyers that told him, stop doing this. Shut up. What are you doing? Stop effing tweeting right now, the lawyer said to him. And Sam fired him. Yeah. Don't DM a reporter saying you were lying the whole time. It was just an act. I mean, come on. And they fired, they fired that lawyer. And his, dad, his dad's law team took over. They got him a PR team. All of this is out there. And this is what he's doing now. And it's working. Because the media needs the out. The politicians need the out. Sam needs the out. All the incentives align. The only incentives that aren't aligned are the people that got screwed. The bag holders, the retail. Is it working, though? It, 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 I mean, I guess I'm not as much of a cynic as you yet. I just feel like it's so obvious. This is like when my six-year-old does something stupid. And, you know, it, it very much, I didn't mean to, I, you know, whatever. Well, you still did it, right? I mean, there has to be some federal prosecutor somewhere, probably in the Southern District of New York, who wants to take take this guy out, right? Like, in terms of a legal case. You got to wonder if, if, if the law doesn't get him, somebody else might. Any Saudi money there, my friend? But, you know, this stuff takes a little while. The, the difference, like Bernie Madoff is the big comparison. And the difference with Madoff is... Uh, he confessed to his son or something like that. So he confessed to fraud. So the story is he confessed to – this is the, the alleged story. He confessed to his children 
and instructed them to turn him in because he did not want them charged. Right. So the idea is if they blow the whistle on their dad, the prosecutors would ignore any any part. That's clever. That is clever. That's a nice thing for a dad to do. Well, because he was going to get he he knew he was going to get caught anyway. I'll try to make that exit. You know, that's what I'll do for my kids no, when I get Chris, caught. In my financial no, scheme. no, 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 no. We just start talking about democratizing media. Yeah, you're right. Go, we, we're going to we're going to do green sats. I have some shibboleths for you. And first thing we do is we DM some reporters at The Verge and tell them that we're lying the whole time. Just continue to tell them that. The only thing is we have to get, you know, all the wives and kids and everybody, we have to live in one big house. I'm I'm thinking of the Isle of Man, but we can talk about that. Okay. I, I, uh, yeah. All right. I mean, the Bahamas looks nice. I've been seeing a lot of pictures recently. I just got to say. Well, an apparently very friendly government there. <laughs> yeah. What a what a wild thing. Huh? I, I hope you're wrong. Right. Because if you're right, then. Oh, I'm not. No, I'm right. I'm so right. you're just you're just. All right. Uh, somebody, uh, Kokoder uh, mascot. This is your moment. December fifth, he makes the prediction that. So you're saying he just walks away? No, 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 no. Right, so does he go to jail? No, I think there'll probably be some financial crime. Um, it's just I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as it should be. But they'll get him. They're, they're, I'm sure they they must happen. God, I hope. Otherwise, I'm really going to lose faith in everything. <laughs> I think this is just going to end up being federal prison. Okay, so so you don't. I mean, he's going to go to a camp, right? It's not going to be like. Yeah, it's not going to be like, you know, like John Gotti, but that's my thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't I don't even know about anybody else. I mean, it's hard to say about Caroline. You know, she's really managed to hide. I think she the, the rumor is that she took off in Sam's plane to Dubai. He let her take his plane to Dubai and that's where she escaped to. Yeah, because uh, there was a flight. Sam's plane left a couple of days after the news broke. Sam's plane left the Bahamas and landed in Dubai. But Sam still. In the Bahamas and Caroline's gone. So who knows? And she was the acting CEO of Alameda and also Sam's girlfriend. So the whole thing is, I don't know, this, this story. I mean, when I need to cheer myself up after a long day, I actually just read his financial statement. It's quite funny. I love watching all these crap tokens crash and burn. You know, like FTT was a totally made up token. He took people's real money and he gave him fake tokens and then he went and bought things like politicians with them and cars and houses and he could just pump and create as many tokens as he wants they could set they they basically launched the token at 22 bucks they artificially launched it at 22 bucks they pre-mined themselves like the whole thing is it's literally a ponzi scheme it requires money to continue to come in and watching that you know it there is the whole crypto aspect of it but i actually i wish and i know this was never going to happen mike but I wish the narrative would have been, look what reckless VC money did. Because Sam didn't get all this money on his own. His parents helped him, but a lot of VC invest, a lot of investment firms, Sequoia is the biggest, most famous one, that was impressed because he was playing video games while on the call. And there's no accountability there, right? It was their hundreds of millions, actually billions of dollars that the California and New York VCs pumped into FTX. Yeah, well, but okay. So this should be, if you're one of those uh, people, you know, who's really concerned about but diversity and inclusion, all that stuff. I don't think the VCs knew this was a scam going in. They typecast, right? This is just like, you know, when somebody goes, oh, we need a Scotch Irishman to be the cowboy. Yeah, but they have due diligence they should be doing. They should be auditing they did their books due diligence. before they cut. They heard three letters. M-I-T. That's it. He wore a hoodie. He played uh, League of Legends, and he was from MIT. This is the problem and why I'm a little frustrated. Because without accountability for that enablement, it's just going to happen again. It is these venture funds that are looking for these 100x returns. And they will just dump money. And, you know, again, Sam was a master of saying what you want to hear. And it's pretty easy to figure out what a VC wants to hear. What a VC wants to hear is 100x return, you know, going to change the world, disruption. Oh, what the VC wants to see is Stanford, MIT, and borderline a hoodie with something that appears to be some sort of weird social problem, like ask, you know, like not like, but not really a problem where it's like a medical problem. Right. Like it's just they probably, like, they probably love that he was hopped up on 
amphetamines all the time too they probably thought that was great i'm sure he mentioned sleeping on a beanbag near the servers right like it's in their videos and dude it's part of their branding you know trust me i've been in these meetings you know what they don't want to hear i'm a parent you know what they don't want to hear sam hasn't showered for two days no, I think they kind of do want to hear that. I Maybe they're they do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they're such sickos. I just wish that was more of the story. But I think people are watching this stuff in front of their eyes and making their own decisions. But I, I want to pivot to the Fediverse because oh, yes. the Podge Sage boosted in last week after listening to the episode with uh, 2,112 sats, his lowest boost amount ever. So I think he's disappointed in you. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why the Mastodon hate Mike? And Brandon also wrote in via email. Asking, what's going on with Mastodon? Why not on Mastodon? What's going on? And I think people got the impression that you're a Mastodon hater. So I've had a Mastodon account since 2018. You OG. That's not OG. That's not OG at all. I don't know how long is it. Is that? I don't know. And I've just started using it again because I managed in one fell swoop to piss off the lefties and the righties on Twitter. <laughs> a, a glorious strike. And you had both of the sides coming at you. You're like just standing there My in the middle. My DMs had to be closed very briefly because... <laughs> And I will give the lefties one thing. At least the lefties were real people. I could tell by the typos. The righties, domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. A lot of them. So just do not mess with Kara Swisher. It's all. It never works. Always backfires. Does she have like a Kara militia? No, I don't think it's her. I think what happens is because so many people hate her that they just attack you if you don't go all out. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. So yeah, it turns out that uh, she might have a point regarding crazy, crazy bot. So that, that rough, that rough house experience where uh, the Karen, or I'm sorry, is it the Kara, the Kara stands and the Kara haters came after you. You decided it was mostly the haters. Well, you know what I decided? I I've been missing Google plus. Yeah. And I realized Mastodon is the closest thing. I know there's that post news thing. I signed up for the beta, but that's so much more work, right? Like Twitter, you know, microblogging is where it really is. It seems to make more sense. And it's been a couple days. And you know what? It's like Alan Pope is on there. I don't have many connections on there, but it's, you know, mostly other developers, right? iOS developers, Linux users. And it's like a conversation that's not, you're a fascist, you're a communist, you're this, you're that. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's a little more akin to, you know, hanging out in a niche group. So everybody's kind of a little more aligned, uh, for better or for worse. But while I think that's nice, and uh, I enjoy being on the uh, Podcasting 2.0 Mastodon, because, you know, there I like to talk about Podcasting 2.0. I don't talk much, but I follow. But I really haven't been compelled to get on Mastodon outside of that, because, A, for great in-depth technical conversations about any topic, we have the Matrix chat room with individual rooms. We do. And B... I think what you just touched on is going to mean, I think Mastodon sticks around. We're going to have more users. You know, Mastodon's going to be more, more active than ever. But everything you just said is also why Mastodon is going to remain niche and people will want to get back on Twitter because if you ever want to have a go at Kara Swisher again, well, you'll have to do it on Twitter. Or if you ever want to get a big conversation going, or, you know, if some celebrity just dies or there's an earthquake somewhere or there's some breaking event you're going to end up back on Twitter because your Mastodon community is going to be talking about Python, which is great, but they're not going to be covering an election that's going or an earthquake or, you know, a volcano or whatever, right? It's like that breaking news, those moments, real life that's happening with everybody, a shared event across the world, across these niches happens on Twitter. Right. So, okay, before this blows up a little bit, right, I didn't necessarily go for Kara Swisher. Just pull it back a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, li I like the idea, though, of it. I sure do like the idea of you having to go. If you recall, I did try that years ago. It ended badly. But I questioned her very aggressive criticism of Twitter as a space and Elon Musk's decisions in a snarky way to keep all her replies closed to only people she follows. Well, she proved her point because I had all my stuff open. And immediately once she responded, it was like I turned I turned the DM notifications off on my phone, then went into the Twitter web browser to turn them off. Because I was getting hammered by like insane, like some of them thought I was her. Like the craziest shit I've ever seen. Like not even like Elon's, you know, six inch thick doobie crazy, crazier than that. Alex Jones crazy. 
So I don't know, right? And then, of course, you get the other side is like, you just hate her because you hate her. I'm like, I don't hate her. I've been subscribing to her stuff for 15 years. But sure, I hate her, right? Whatever you want to say. I hate that this is true, but I sort of get it. Like there's, And I don't think that it used to be like this, or at least it wasn't for me. But I'll give you another example. I wasn't going to talk about this because it's kind of dunking. Uh, and I know you'll disagree, but you know, TMB used to advertise on Twitter a lot, and we've been getting tons of spam. I would say in the last month from the ads, right? Because we would advertise. It was one of those landing pages. I don't know if you're familiar with lead pages at all. I don't think so. Is this this is a Twitter advertising feature? Uh, no, it's a third party, but it can integrate with Twitter. And it basically, you you put up a page, and it's like any like you know call the salesman thing you can schedule an appointment well they've all been like weird offshore spam for a while now i don't know if that's byproduct of upping the ad spend in the last six months or maybe something i tweeted changed you know what i mean like the algorithm could have changed the way they see the company account but it's it's uh it's been weird it's also very cheap so there's that so I don't know. I mean, I want Google Plus back. I'm not going to get it, right? But you know what, Mastodon, this could be a great experiment. And I think you're right. You're going to have a more focused community, probably, hopefully, less drama. There'll still be some, I'm sure, because humans. Oh, yeah. I'm going to post a bunch of Mac stuff. It should be fun. There you go. Uh, Marchi boosted in with uh, 7,777 sats. He said, I'm boosting in to show some .NET love for a small startup. Picked the right day. So I'm not sure if that makes me a dark matter dev or not. That's a good question. Says our front end is React plus TypeScript SPA, and the back end is mostly .NET with a little bit of Node.js, all containerized and running on GNU slash Linux, of course. And he goes on to say, Marchie says .NET has an excellent SDK for interacting with Azure, where we run all the things. We deploy with GitHub Actions and develop in Visual Studio. So we're all on the modern Microsoft stack and loving it. We'll take that, Amazon. <laughs> You know what? They really are. And it sounds like a pretty sweet workflow, guys. If you would be so kind, Marchie, I'd be curious to know how long you've been on that stack. Like, is this in the last year? Because I, I wonder if that would kind of underscore Mike's point, where like if you were starting recently, this would probably just be the stack you'd start with for a lot of people. Or, or I wonder if Marchie slowly transitioned. That'd be some interesting extra detail. I have another question for Marchie, because uh, I have a client who's super hot on Blazor. Did you consider Blazor? Inquiring minds want to know. I am CGI boosted him with 300 sats. Hey, Chris and Mike, longtime listener, sent him a first boost. Well, hello. Previous episode, you talked about Pi environment and RB environment and VM. They're all great. But after using more than three, it becomes a burden to install and use different tools. So check out ASDF VM. It's the same concept, but under one unified tool with a neat plugin system. In fact, Pi Environment is used as a plugin in ASDF. Keep up the amazing shows. Well, we'll put a link to that. So it's again, it's ASDF-VM. You guys out there may have already heard of this. We'll put a link to that in our Matrix chat room too. And we'll have it in the show notes. Nice, good stuff. Yeah. One tool to rule them all, Mr. Dominic. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Ah, uh, Hinga. I always get that wrong, but I love the boost anyways. Boosting with 3,000 sets. Oh, I thought it was Hanaga. Huh. Okay, I'll take that. Ah, uh, Hanaga. Yeah. I'm doing Graphene OS, and Hanaga is doing Calyx OS on their Pixel 5. And they say they deleted their Google account years ago, and it's been working great. Guess what? So this is, I'm past the honeymoon stage. I'm still on Graphene OS on the Pixel 7, and I checked screen time yesterday. I spent a grand total for my iPad and my iPhone, a grand total of 15 minutes on my iOS devices. Holy shit, I think I should give you a chip or something for this. Like, this is crazy. I did it. I did it. Um, I'll tell you what, Waze has been, Waze and CarPlay in general have been rough. So are you are you Google free? So far. So far. Yeah, I, I worry that I'm going to regret the Waze decision because on an average evening, there's three speed traps to six on my drive home. And it's only, a, it's, it's such a heavily bed area you know everybody speeds so the cops are just milking it and so i actually find ways to be a pretty useful tool and i'm going to feel really dumb if i get like a 200 hundred dollar ticket because our tickets are outrageous here well it's 30 percent. i'm going to feel really dumb if they give me a ticket and i could have stopped it with ways because i've actually been really lucky because of, because it is so heavily trafficked with cops 
Waze has high network adoption. I'm trying out Magic Earth. Really cool. Great app. Does support like all of the traffic reporting features and more, but just lacks the network effect. So everybody go use Magic Earth for God's sake. Purple Dog writes in with 3,000 sats. My wife is doing a, a biochem PhD involving bioinformatics. Yeah, very impressive. Most of the tools are written in Python and haven't been touched since the corresponding paper was published up to a decade ago. It was a nightmare trying to run them for her then to find, oh, no, this one over here is based on Python, too, because they never documented that. She's not a developer herself, so it left me to fix everything. Well, she's very lucky, Purple Dog. That is so frustrating. I have had a little bit of experience with that, too. And uh, it feels like if these schools wanted to teach people the modern way to do this stuff, they should package up all these requirements into a container and then publish it up on Docker Hub and then just tell students to load the container on their machine with all these, you know, esoteric old crap that's probably <laughs> riddled with security vulnerabilities. like there, Or a VM, right? Have the students go get some free VM software and distribute it. To, to have the, expect the students to reconstruct a Python environment from a decade ago, they should be paying you. Well, they, they could also have like, a, yeah, I mean, this is a common thing in academia where a lot of the stuff is still Python too. The, the answer is they probably need to just pay some, you know, grad student to there you go rewrite the stuff in Python 3. But I mean, and God forbid you containerize it. God forbid. No, you, you can't tell them Docker because then they'll start spinning up AWS instances and Bezos will get more of that sweet, sweet open source money. <laughs> Sir Alex Gates, the podcasting Tinodo consultant, boosts him with 10,000 sad sats. I deleted my Matrix account. Dun, dun. <laughs> the social paradigms of online group chats are toxic. Tech smart normies are still normies. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed to see this because, A, I think, you know, the Coda Radio general chat stays pretty on topic all the time. Every now and then some Elon stuff comes up. but Or MTG stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it is, let's be honest, except for during the live show. You know, and so not only can you, you can choose, unlike Twitter, where it's kind of like a feed, you can choose what rooms. But, you know, Alex, this is a great way to chat with you and stay up to date on these topics and stay in sync. And, you know, I'm adding more people to that platform, not less. And so even if you didn't participate in the group chats, you could at least participate in the direct chat. So if you want to reconsider and you'd like a jupiterbroadcasting.com account since you deleted your matrix.org, uh, I guess send a boost now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how no way to contact you. But, yeah, but let me know. And because I'd, I'd love to keep you in, in the Fediverse so that way we can chat. But I understand. You got to do what you got to do. The Golden Dragon boosted in accidentally twice. So I'm going to credit him 4,444 sats. Of course, I can always send some back there, Dragon. He writes, did I agree with the newly leaked emails referring to the emails we talked about last week where Elon said the managers are expected to write a bit of code and know how to read code? The dragon says, I do agree. Management shouldn't be exempt from stepping in from time to time if necessary to do the job they were asked to do or lead or, you know, hired. After all, I feel like that's part of being on a team. Plus, knowing what your folks do helps you lead them effectively, in my opinion. I'm sorry if this comes off a bit brash, but great show, gentlemen. No, I think we agree. I don't think that's brash. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. It's kind of funny that it's become, that that's become a controversial idea. And again, I think that kind of goes back to not to be this guy, but kind of different standards. We've just had different standards emerge over the last few years. And, you know, being able to read and write the code just wasn't one of the things that was considered important, I suppose. Maybe there'll be a change on that. Maybe there won't be. And then I, I may, I don't you know have, if I... You have to do it. Yes. You want me to do it? You okay. want me to do right. it? Uh, I'll do it. No, I got it. I got it. All right. Okay. All right. You ready? Go. Sir Lurks a lot boosted, and I think it was a thousand sats. I might have not grabbed it. It's that. a thousand. I just loved it so much. This message. Here we go. Jingle bells, red hat smells, Ubuntu lost their feels. Seuss is strange to me, and Arches lost its appeal. Oh, Nick's OS, Nick's OS, it's the one for me. Silver blue, I once tried you and your OS tree. Oh, Nick's OS, Nick's OS, it's the one for me. The learning curve is steep. But it's a worthy climb, you'll see. <laughs> bravo, bravo. <laughs> Thank you, Lurks, a lot. That's a very nice holiday boost. So next week, the free software song. <laughs> and also, the probably the first and last time I'll ever sing 
even have thing on air. A neural LP, unless it's a lot. Maybe maybe I should set a sat minimum. See, see, now it's just a matter of the price. Yes, right. Now we got to set a price. Uh, neural LP also boosted with 4,000 sats. Thank you, sir. Thank you also to our members. I hope you enjoyed the Coder QA. I'm getting the word that you did. If uh, you are a Patreon subscriber, we're going to spin down Patreon uh, at the end of the year. So uh, if you're on Jupiter.Party or you're a Coder QA member, you're already set up. If you're on Patreon and you'd like to become a Jupiter Party member, kind of transition your network support, I have a promo code 2022 for the end of the year. And it'll take $2 off the monthly subscription for the lifetime of the subscription. So that's a pretty good savings. It really stacks up. <laughs> and uh, that's just a transition because, uh, unfortunately, I think we're done with the Patreon platform just based on some integration issues that we've had. Nothing really beyond that. But we're building some new platforms, new capabilities, creating our own RSS feeds. And so we need, we need something a little different. So if you'd like to join us at jupiter.party, use the promo code 2022. You can also upgrade your Coder QA membership if you'd like to get all of the shows ad-free and their special features. Jupiter.potty. And Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send the good folks this week before we get? Yeah, follow me at Dumanuku at Mastodon.social. Oh, all right. You can find me in the Fediverse in Matrix. Matrix, uh, let's see. How about Coder.show slash Matrix? Go there. That's where you'll find me. Yeah, because we got the uh, little linkage send you right over there get you in the general room you can hang out we're doing live streams because you know we do stream this thing we do uh we do it at mondays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern at jupiter.tube we'd love to have you there too and then you can hang out in the chat room and yak with us links to what we talked about today that's at coder.show slash 495 you also find our contact form there we love your emails as well as our rss feeds thanks so much for joining us see you back here next week 